0: This is I Was There, gigs that change the world.
1: It was only much later, really, that I was fully aware of how groundbreaking the tour of life was because it was before the days of, you know, YouTube and things like that. So there was a dusty old VHS recording of it. And that was it. It wasn't particularly well known. People talked about it in sort of hushed tones. It had a kind of mysterious, magical romance about it.
0: Episode four, Kate Bush's Tour of Life, 1979.
2: My name's Richard Ames and I was the tour manager for the Tour of Life. I had been working with Cockney Rebel since 1974 and when Cockney Rebel got a record deal with EMI, I swiftly jumped from roadie sound engineer to tour manager and got to know quite a lot of their folk and EMI. And so it was Hilary Walker, who was in the press department, I believe at the time, who was seconded to Kate's management. And she recommended me, introduced me, and they hired me. I was put in to help create the production and oversee the day-to-day running of the tour, from sound lights, trucks, buses, and put the itinerary together. My name is Anthony Van Last, and
3: I worked with Kate Bush on the 1979 tour. I was a member of the London Contemporary Dance Theatre at the time, and a man came to watch us in class. We used to have class every day, and he asked me after class if I would like to be in pop videos. And at that time, I had no money, so the idea of earning a little extra money doing a pop video was great. And so I went off and I did a few pop videos with him, and then you need someone to tell the dancers what to do. So I started choreographing pop videos. And then one day, I got a phone message saying would I call him as quickly as possible. And I called him up and he said, listen, I've got this artist I'd like, you know, to meet, maybe want to work with. So I said, fine, what's her name? He said, well, why don't you come along to the dance studio? When you come to the dance studio, I'll introduce you to the person. So I went to the dance studio and then in walked Kate Bush. And at that time, she'd just done Wuthering Heights and so it was a bit of a phenomena. Working with Kate was my first sort of foray into the pop world. And so I danced with her on the video of Hammer Horror and we became friends. And then she asked whether I would work with her on her tour.
1: Hi, my name is Graham Thompson. I wrote a book called Under the Ivy about Kate Bush. And one of the chapters in that book was solely concerned about the tour of life in 1979. So I, I was kind of too young to really latch onto her when she arrived with Wuthering Heights in that incredible flurry of fame in 1978. But I think like a lot of people of my age, you know, the Hounds of Love record in the mid 80s, 1985 running up that hill. That's when I was first kind of aware of her. And then it's just a case of kind of delving back. And she always seemed like such a fascinating, unique figure. So the more I find about her and the, the more mysterious side of her and the term that she wasn't someone who really interacted with the pop world on its own terms, you know, she was very much her own woman. And I think that was interesting as well. And then it was a case of just kind of filling in the gaps.
3: When I first started working with Kate, she could only have been about 19 years old. So for somebody so young, I mean, she'd written so much material. She'd worked with so many interesting people and she had an imagination. She was like this encyclopedia of knowledge.
1: She was a bit of a child prodigy, really. You know, The Man with a Child in His Eyes was written when she was 13 years old, which is pretty extraordinary. So although she was only 20 by then, she'd already released two records and she was very much in control of her career. But it does seem, looking back in hindsight, that, it, that she was. I mean, she was barely out of her teens and she was in control of everything.
3: What excited me about the whole thing was the fact that Kate was coming at it from a very different point of view. Kate had a very clear idea about what she wanted from the show. She wanted to bring in magic. She wanted to bring in burlesque. She wanted to bring in... Dance. She wanted to bring in mime. The show was completely her concept. She actually wanted to make her show a piece of theatre, and I felt I was equipped to work with her on that.
1: There were months of rehearsals from January right up to when the tour kicked off in the early spring. You know, I think it was a really exhausting process for her because she was running from, you know, dance studios in central London to rehearsal studios for the music in Greenwich. Because of the nature of who she is, she's overseeing every part of the production, from the music to the dance to the stage show. So I think she stretched herself very, very fine on the process of the tour of life, which may be one of the reasons she didn't do it again for such a long time.
2: It went over a few months before the production started getting put together. So I suppose from working with a band over a few years where it's a smooth oiled machine, you're really building one from scratch, having never toured before, Kate that is. It was a learning curve for her, but with some experience by their sides, it was a fairly smooth operation.
3: Kate and I and the two dancers, we had a really lovely game-playing time in the studio, making up the routines. What we did was we took the kind of gestures from the video and we developed that, which was kind of the archetypal Kate Bush moves with the arms waving around in front and her screaming and her hair flowing all over the place. And I don't think I could say that I choreographed Kate Bush because she had such an idiosyncratic way of moving, which was completely hers and developed from her own core, And so, as a choreographer, one would have to take what she had and then develop it.
2: The great production technical aspect, from my point of view, that has gone down in history was the fact that Kate wanted to dance. She didn't want to hold a microphone.
3: Kate said she wanted to dance, and in my stupidity, I'd forgotten that she had to hold a microphone. So we made up a lot of choreography... And with her arms waving around but i'd forgotten that she had have a microphone
2: and two very clever guys who worked for the sound company gordon patterson and cameron crosby they put their heads together and came up with the headset i remember so clearly we got a metal coat hanger and
3: he bent it round and so that she could put it over her head and tuck it behind her ears, and then we bent it round in front so we could put a little microphone in front of her mouth. But well, then she had wire running down from the coat hanger down her back to a mic pack at the back. So this was the first attempt at that, which enabled her to move and wave her arms around and sing into the coat hanger.
2: And our great fear every day <laughs> in sound check and testing was. Not having the local cab company come through the PA because they're on the same wavelength as the wireless transmitters that we were using for the show. It's a true story. And at the time, I didn't think anything strange of it. But now, I go, I can't believe that happened.
3: I mean, actually, really... I wasn't prepared. I mean, I was 27, 28 years old. I was a contemporary dancer. I had choreographed just a few things then. But actually, if you look on paper, I really wasn't prepared for it. You see, I hadn't done very much at that stage. I mean, I'd been to see lots of concerts, but I'd never really worked on a concert. So for me, I was so naive. And when, you know, 17 costume changes, great, 17 costume changes. So there was no question.
1: So I got the sense of, again, like a kind of theatrical troupe who were heading off on a great adventure on a bus, you know, and really invested in the idea. And I think a real camaraderie amongst everyone there who, who really were feeling this was an adventure that they hadn't been on before. And also perhaps with a point to prove. It's hard to think now perhaps because Kate Bush is so universally beloved, but at the time she wasn't necessarily. There were people who loved her and there were a lot of people who, who didn't like her and, and still thought she was something of a novelty.
3: Somehow between us... We made the show and it was made with enthusiasm, it was made with passion, it was made with drive and possibly with naivety as well.
1: I think it was a chance for her really to prove how good she was at so many things. But I do think the word naive is interesting because there were members of the team who felt she kind of did bite off more than she could chew sometimes because she was you know, so wiped out at the end of each show.
2: The tour really started for us in Poole. That was the very first show, that was the very first performance in front of an audience.
1: It was actually kind of the warm-up show down in Poole in the south of England. They went down there to kind of find their feet for the first night before they opened the show.
2: Bill Duffield was pulled in at the very last minute to operate the lights because the management basically said we've got to put in someone to operate with a bit more panache.
3: We'd worked so hard to be original with the lighting and try and give the show a different lighting look.
2: The pool show went absolutely brilliantly. Uh, Everyone was on a huge high, and I ended up in uh, the hospital all night trying to find out uh, how to contact Bill's parents.
3: I mean, the experience is marred with that memory. And the tour very nearly, I think, got cancelled. You know, he fell down a trapdoor.
2: I think everyone bonded together extraordinarily for their own sakes, for Kate's sake and for Bill's sake. And the
1: consensus was, I mean, the people I've spoken to who were on that tour felt that that actually kind of brought everything together. You know, it could easily have ruined the tour before it started. And she did consider, I think, briefly cancelling the tour because of what a tragedy that was.
2: You see, Bill didn't die that night. He remained on a life support machine for five days and so we carried on with the shows not knowing whether he was going to pull through or not. Sadly, uh, the parents decided to switch the plug off. We got an ending to it although the worst possible ending and carried on.
1: I think in that sense it was a kind of unifying event, I mean a horrible, awful event but it sort of tightened the bond in, in the troupe.
2: I persuaded Cade to do a, a memorial gig at the end of the tour at the Hammersmith Odeon because Bill was Peter Gabriel's lighting guy and Cockney Rebel's lighting guy. So we got Peter and Steve Harley to come over to do a bit of rehearsal for their memorial show that we ended up finishing the tour with.
1: And of course, at the end of the tour, they played this benefit gig at Hammersmith Odeon for his family. So there was a narrative arc, I suppose, to that whole event, which I think added an emotional bond to the whole tour.
3: It was a moving tribute to Bill. So the death of Bill stands out very strongly in in my mind over the whole uh,
2: event. Of all the tours I've done, the 40 people that were on that tour were one.
1: From a modern perspective, it looks quite old-fashioned. It's quite murky, some of it. It relied quite a lot on, you know, the human eye just catching what was going on on stage. It wasn't a big razzmatazz presentation.
3: I remember it's was a big ramp running down the middle, which gave Kate an entrance point down the middle, and then the band was split on either side of it. So really you looked at, and there was a four-stage where there could be dancing or there could be a piano or whatever you wanted on the four-stage. It was quite simple.
1: And so what you were drawn towards, I think, was the movement, first of all. You know, she had her own dancing and she had two male dancers who were with her for most of those songs. Extraordinary amount of choreography and movement while she's singing.
2: Although the band sat at the back, the foreground of the stage itself was clean and able to look different for each song as maybe a piece of staging was put in with dry ice to look like a deck by the side of a lake, or with the magician coming on with Kate doing tricks.
1: I got my hands on a few things that possibly I shouldn't have of that tour. You know, there's there's various bootlegs, and I don't think it ever really came across, you know, how spectacular and how good it was, because it's a theatrical show. It's not your normal kind of rock show. It doesn't have those dynamics, and I, I think you had to be there. It was in relatively small venues. It required, I think, quite a lot of human interaction to really get everything that was going on, and it really was a kind of one-off event that you had to be there to fully appreciate. I think because of the way she writes songs, the way she sees songs, the way that characters present themselves in her songs, they're not merely a kind of expression of an emotion in a sort of autobiographical sense. I think they're already very, very vivid to her. So the difficulty then, I guess, is how do you represent that on stage? And the Tour of Life, I think, came out of that question. How do I give these songs even more dimensions in a live context than they even have on record?
2: It was really a show of three acts, like a theatre, but each scene between each act was a completely different song with a completely different feel.
1: So there's this constant... Flux, really, on stage, and there's not a fixed character. She's not coming on, really, as Kate Bush and being that pop star persona through the whole gig. You know, she's constantly changing into, you know, she's wearing trilobies and long coats, or she's being like a cowgirl who's shooting people down, or she's being a sort of mad Gorgon spirit. You know, there's all these different personas that are coming through all the time because she's trying to embody the song. So it is very theatrical in that sense.
2: I sort of see it as creating the illusion on stage for an audience of the meaning of those songs in some way or form, she pulled it off pretty well, really.
1: It's a human experience. It's it's like going to the theatre and watching the characters perform their part. Just the sheer energy of having to do what she did on stage every night, you know, the dancing and the choreography and the costume changes and the singing,
3: you know, that takes a lot out of you. And she had a relationship with the audience which was like an actress. She held the audience right in the palm of her hand. When she sang Man with a Child in His Eyes at the piano, you could hear a pin drop. It was phenomenal. She could communicate with an audience in a way I've never seen anybody at that stage communicate with an audience before.
1: One of the caveats about the Tour of Life, one of was the slight disappointments in a way, is that it happened so early in her career. So, you know, the set list was virtually the entirety of her first two records, The Kick Inside and Lionheart. So she's playing pretty much her entire repertoire at that point. We don't get to see her full catalogue in full bloom. It's still musically evolving.
3: I remember in Pool because I'd driven down to Pool in my clapped-out old triumph... And I remember the show and I remember the audience absolutely going berserk. So all the things, all the numbers I'd watched in a kind of analytical way throughout the whole rehearsal process and all the choreography we'd made throughout the rehearsal process and all the magic and all the various elements we put into the show and when suddenly you put it in front of an audience... And the audience went absolutely crazy. And suddenly, this person whom was the person I worked in the studio, we worked out steps together, and we were workmates. And suddenly, I watched Kate on the stage and went, Oh, my God, this woman is a phenomenal superstar. I think uh, doing Wuthering Heights on stage was uh, fantastic because that was, at the time, her really big hit. Because I'd seen Kate on Top of the Pops way before I worked with her, I said, my God, this woman is absolutely amazing. I hope one day I can get to work with her. And then standing in the wings, watching her doing Wuthering Heights on stage was absolutely amazing. And then looking around into the audience and watching the audience's faces as she was doing it, it was an amazing time because she was such a superstar. Part of the reason the
1: Tour of Life happened is because of almost the folly of youth. You know, she was so young and she was quite naive and there was no barriers at that point, I think, to her imagination and what she thought was possible. So she just pushed through... It may well be that if she'd encountered that, you know, five years later, she may not have had quite the same impulses or the quite the same determination to do it because it was a pretty extraordinary, brave and bold undertaking.
3: And I think so many times in one's life, and I'm sure later on, because I've gone on to choreograph, many many big films and pop shows and suddenly as you get older you sort of learn the rules and you go well I'm not going to do that well, God, you can't do that you can't do that I don't think we knew what the barriers were I, think, I don't think any of us knew what the barriers were so we just sort of did it and I don't think any of us expected the acclaim
1: No one really had seen anything like this before. I think we can look at maybe David Bowie's Diamond Dogs tour, which never came to the UK, which had a degree of that kind of theatricality in, in a small theatre. Apart from that, I don't think there was anything you could really compare it to. It wasn't a big stadium rock show. It wasn't that kind of extravaganza. It kind of brought pop music in the broader sense into a, a completely new realm.
3: I think the response was overwhelming because, one, it was a very good show, two, probably there'd never been a show like that before. You know, all the influences she had. There were no other rock singers who had those kind of influences. And all the people she gathered around her to make the tour, her brothers and hopefully me and, and the dancers and all the people she gathered around her, it was completely, at that time, original. later on on the tour it came to the palladium and i would just every night go and stand at the back of the theater and watch the audience go absolutely crazy i've never ever ever experienced that before ever
2: You could tell at the end of the evening because Kate introduced everyone one by one and everyone got rapturous applause, but when it came to uh, her taking her bow, the place erupted every night. Standing ovations. She was amazing. You know, I mean, she was, what, 19? Just uh, the energy of a lion. It was extraordinary.
1: Seeing her backstage afterwards, you know, sometimes she virtually had to be carried into the dressing room because she was so wiped out because of how emotionally and physically draining the shows were.
3: When we finished Hammersmith, none of us had any idea that she was going to actually give up touring. I mean, none of us had any idea at all because of the success of it and because she looked like she really, really enjoyed
1: doing it. When it came to saying, well, you know, do I tour or do I make a new record or do I put some of the funds for touring into making four very innovative videos? each
3: time she made the decision that she would rather do something else. I think that's it. Kate was a fabulous live performer. And so the idea that she wasn't going to tour anymore, if someone had told me then, I wouldn't have believed it. I would never, ever, ever, ever have believed it. But then, nothing about Kate is normal.
1: As for why she didn't want to tour, I think just the general lifestyle probably didn't suit her. I think some of the imperfections of performing on stage, where there's always a degree of the unknown and things can go wrong, technically. Probably didn't suit her temperament as an artist because she preferred to be in control of what she was doing all, all the time and the studio it was a much better place to do that.
2: I got to hang out in the studios for a couple of the albums after that and her head was always, always in the studio. She seemed to just love that environment and uh, whenever you pop the question, she used to say, oh, don't know, maybe...
1: There's always a danger that we kind of overstate the significance of these things. I think one of the reasons we talk about it so much is because it was kind of a one-off for so long. So it, it was the only chance that anyone had of seeing Kate Bush for a very, very long time. The longer the time passes and the longer that she didn't tour or play live, there's a mythic quality that kind of is attached to that. You know, you saw Kate Bush saying, wow. But I don't think we can separate it from the kind of mythology around Kate Bush. I think if she toured in 1981 and 1983 and 1985, the tour of life would probably have a little bit less resonance for most people. It was because it was the one and only time that she did that, that it has, I think, the real mythology about it. There
3: was a kind of a mythic status around her. I mean, she's actually a lovely, 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 lovely woman and unbelievably generous with her time and her spirit. But there was some kind of... She sort of developed this kind of mythic status.
1: So it seemed like a huge anomaly, a very interesting one for a long time. But of course, in 2014, she returned to the stage and she played all those shows in London.
2: I saw her at the recent shows. It was amazing. And um, she told me that the real reason for doing those recent shows was for her son. So her son could be involved with live music and her songs. And I think if she hadn't got her son, she probably would never have done it ever again.
1: It was unlike any gig I've ever been to. It was a very charged atmosphere the night I went. I think I went on the sort of sixth or seventh night of the run of shows she did. There was a real nervousness in the room. I felt people kind of thinking, God, I I hope she's good. You know, I hope you can pull this off, because we. I think everyone had created this kind of ideal of Kate Bush. And she was brilliant. It was a very, very theatrical show again, and there was so much going on, but I was just struck by by hearing her sing, really. You know, I think just hearing someone sing, because it's just raw talent. But it, it was wonderful, because I never thought it would happen. You know, I mean, I wrote the first edition of the book I wrote, Under the Ivy, and I was very kind of... Uh, <laughs> very, very sure that she wouldn't tour again or wouldn't play live again. It was quite nice to be brought up on that, actually, and to have to go back and admit that, well, we don't know the motives of this woman. She's still quite mercurial and quite mysterious, and she still is capable of doing things that surprise us.
3: I remember Kate saying to me, we were having a chat one day quietly, and she said, she said to me, this job for you, Anthony, is going to be like dropping a pebble into a lake and the ripples from it are going to go out and they're going to hit the shore over the next few years and your life is going to take off. And she was completely correct. Kate completely launched my career. By association, the acclaim I got from having worked on the show changed my whole life, completely changed my life.
2: The reason it's talked about now still, I think it strikes a couple of chords, not only for... UK music live shows, but also uh, in Kate's career in retrospect, how precious those shows became.
1: She clearly loved singing on stage and she loved the connection between herself and the audience. So now it's a shame she didn't do more of it. I suppose we look back and think it looked like the beginning of something quite amazing at the time.
2: It was the only tour she ever did. So for the huge amount of Output that she's created over her career. There's only two albums worth of that huge amount that was ever seen live up until the recent run of shows at the Hammersmith Odeon.
3: It was completely and utterly original. And that's why now, all these years later, this concert is remembered.
2: It was also, at the time, groundbreaking from the point of view of creating something more than just a flashing lights and sound show. It was an amalgamation of theatre and pop music.
1: I think it did push the boundaries of what pop stars or singers were able to do or were prepared to do on stage. And I think Madonna definitely was aware of the Tour of Life and the ambition of that show and what could be achieved. Quality of the thing has lasted. It wasn't just a novelty. It was something that was substantial.
3: I look back on the tour just over 40 years later. I felt that we were in a very creative, inventive period. All of us. Everyone was playing at the top of their games. They didn't know the rules. They didn't know what they couldn't do. We were just making a show and I never expected then that 40 years later we'd still be talking about something which is one of the probably most creative periods of my life.
0: Kate Bush choreographer Anthony Van Last Kate Bush tour manager Richard Ames and Kate Bush writer Graham Thompson Don't forget to rate and subscribe if you enjoyed the podcast and make sure to share I Was There with friends I'm Sophie Kay and this was an Absolute Radio production Next time on I Was There gigs that change the world A weekend that marked the pinnacle of Britpop and the essential music event of the 90s. You wanted it to be so good and you were slightly thinking, oh, maybe it's not going to be, but it was.
2: It was very hard to ascertain that at the time. But yeah, it was. It was the zenith. It's great to know that you were really a part of history, music history.
0: It's Oasis at Nebworth.